Well, it is a blessing to have each of you with us today as we have come to be able to celebrate God's goodness and his faithfulness to us. And uh, I recognize today that uh, each of us have come for different reasons. Some of us have come because of the celebration of graduates. Uh, Some of us have come to uh, be able to celebrate a baptism, which is going to take place a little bit later here in our service. And some of you are just here because you heard that pastor was going to be talking about sex again. Uh, Regardless of why you're here, our desire today is to truly honor Christ in everything that we talk about and everything that we do. Uh, As we look at this issue of sexual purity, I want us to look today at this issue from a completely different perspective. A few weeks ago when I did the first half of this message, I focused specifically on what sexual immorality looks like. Uh, The fact is it comes in many different shapes and forms, and unfortunately we live in a very sexually driven society, but we live in a society that can be redeemed regardless of how far it seems we have gone. There is hope for us, and it is found in Jesus Christ. So today, what I want us to look at is the redemptive side of this issue. Can God truly redeem a sexually immoral lifestyle? If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, we want to use the scriptures as the answer to this. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, and today specifically, we're going to look at verses 11 through 32. It's often referred to as the story of the prodigal son. That being said, we won't read the entire passage just for the sake of time, but I would encourage you as families to go home and maybe even over lunch, read through the rest of this passage. Remember, we're in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. We're only going to read about six verses. This will create an opportunity for you to be able to talk about this with your family members. I think specifically of families with children and maybe the issue of sexual immorality is not an easy conversation to have. But when we allow God's word to actually open up the discussion, sometimes they can go much, much easier. So I just want to encourage you with that. Uh, I want to look at the passage today. We're going to look at the first three verses of this, verses 11 through 13, and this is what it says. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Now, that's a very, very short passage, but there's a lot in here. You know, one of the greatest difficulties that we will face in our society, in our culture, and even in the church today is something called prosperity. Certainly, there will always be temptations, regardless of how many financial resources you may have. But when you have a great deal of prosperity, often it seems that temptations can grow. Let me explain what I mean by that. Imagine for a moment that you have no money in your wallet. You have no money in the bank. Your credit card is maxed out. Some of you are thinking, I know exactly what that feels like. When you're completely broke, when you have absolutely no money, you can still get yourself into trouble. But there are fewer options. There are certain things that you may want to do that you cannot do simply because you don't have the financial resources to do those things. But what happens when you get that money? This, uh, this passage illustrates to us 
an individual who he had, and therefore the temptation was great. In this case, a young man, he is unnamed in our passage, but just for the sake of referencing him instead of just young man, I'm going to call him George today. He requests his inheritance from his father, and then after receiving the inheritance, he decides it's time to party. And while we could probably talk for a bit about the father's uh, foolishness and giving this large sum of money to his child, or we could talk about the disrespect that the son shows to his father, the reality is that's not what I want to talk about today. What I want you to see is found in verse 13. It says that he got together all he had, set out for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Simply put, he wasted God's blessing in his life. Now, it doesn't tell us much about what's included in his wild living, but I think it's safe to assume that it was nothing but selfishness. We know that alcohol was readily available. We see the use of alcohol all the way back in the Old Testament days. We know that it's present there in the New Testament. Uh, The abuse of alcohol was likely a part of this scenario, maybe even other substances as well. I know that it's likely that there were friends who came out of the woodwork. All of a sudden, he likely became Mr. Popularity. You know, it's funny, when you have all kinds of resources, people that you barely know all of a sudden want to be your best friends. Uh, I had a friend years ago, he used to say that a friend in need is a friend indeed. And his idea was that if somebody really wants something, they may go months or even years without talking to you, but the moment they can get something from you, they'll make contact with you and This guy probably understood that. George was one who all of a sudden became very popular. And of course, there's one thing that likely would have been included in his wild living. It doesn't actually call it out by name, but we're not dumb people. We know sexual immorality could have very easily been a part of this. We talked a few weeks ago about some of the different forms of sexual immorality, and it would be foolish to think that such things were not available during this day and time. It's said that one of the oldest professions in the world is prostitution, and we know of examples all the way back in the Old Testament where prostitution was there. Certainly there are times that people have gotten drunk only to wake up the next morning and realize that they've made sexual choices that they regretted. It is likely that this man, in the midst of all of his foolishness, probably entered into some of the worst decisions he ever could have made. But do you know that the time will always come where the quote-unquote fun runs out? This guy, we're told, has squandered his wealth. That is a past tense statement, which suggests that it's already happened. When Jesus is telling this story, this guy has come to the realization that, man, this is not what I wanted. What happens when all the wealth is gone? Often the individual is filled with much regret and baggage. Often the friends who flock to you have gone home. They want nothing to do with you. And now you are left to pick up the bags, to pick up the pieces on your own. Common emotions which people experience during moments like this are depression, shame, 
embarrassment, anger at ourselves, anger at other people, but rarely is happiness present in these moments. A side note, I've often talked with individuals coming out of addiction, and I have encouraged them not to try to remember the good times. I know we're, uh, we're a generation, we're told to remember the, the good things in life, to focus on those things that really brought us joy. I got to tell you, one of the best things for someone coming out of addiction to remember is not the good times, but when they woke up and realized all their friends were gone. And they remembered the regret and the shame and the pain and the sorrow and the anger that came with it. Because the best thing for them to do would be to never go back to that position again. Instead, we need to come to our senses. And coming to our senses is exactly what this individual, George, has done. He's fallen into this sin of wild living. And as the prodigal son comes to his senses, we read in verse 18 his response. He's out of money, he's defeated, and he longs for the way that things used to be. What can he do? This is what it says in verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I got to tell you, that is a huge contrast. Consider the difference that exists from the first time we meet George. The first time we're introduced to him, this is a young man who thinks that he deserves certain things. He goes to his father and he basically says, give me what I have coming to me. Give me the money, my half of the inheritance. It's mine. Now the truth is, dad's still alive. It's not yours yet. But here he is in his arrogance. Give me what I deserve. But somewhere along the way, his arrogance has been broken. This man who was filled with such arrogance now experiences incredible humility. I got to tell you, all those out there, you, you see people sometimes you think, you know, they're so arrogant, they have everything that they want. There will come a time for every individual here, we will experience brokenness in our lives. Maybe because of what we leaned on, it somehow runs out. Our financial resources or maybe even people. In our arrogance, sometimes we think we deserve better than we have. This young man discovered that he didn't deserve anything. In fact, consider his request. Make me like one of your servants. It's not even a request to be one of his sons, but make me like one of your servants. I'll be better off if, if at least I could do that. I got to tell you, probably one of the hardest things for him was taking the walk of shame. You know what I mean by the walk of shame? It is so hard for us to admit when we have failed. 
Nobody likes to admit that. I love seeing when other people, and actually I don't. But it's a whole lot easier for me to handle your failure than it is mine. Because then I have to admit that, you know what, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. And as he made that walk of shame, walking back to his dad, what thoughts must have went through his mind? What's my dad going to think of me? What's my brother going to think of me? can't believe I have to do this in front of them. So often it is difficult for us to admit our failures, but the truth is all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have failed at some point. Maybe for you it's been in the area of sexual immorality. Maybe for you it's been in a a relationship that you should not have been involved with. Maybe for you, it has to do with integrity, not living up to the standard, not telling the truth, being someone who could be trusted. Maybe for you, it's been a waste of financial resources. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And although it is an incredibly humbling thing, one of the healthiest things we can do is to take ownership of our sin. In this case, that's exactly what George does. He goes back to his father. He doesn't beat around the bush. He confesses, you know what? I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. He doesn't blame anybody else. You know, it's so easy for us to blame everyone else for our problems, to find someone else. You know, if they hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have put myself in this position. I could literally hear a child saying today, if my father hadn't given me all that money at that moment in time, then there's no way I would have taken that path. It's as if it's dad's fault as opposed to George's fault. But the truth is, we are responsible for our own sin. And you can blame everybody else you want. But when it comes down to it, you will stand before God and he will not say, who led you astray? He will hold you accountable. In this case, George confesses his sin. I want you to realize that this declaration of I have sinned against heaven and against you was not news to the father. The father already knew that the son was disrespectful in the way he addressed the father. The father already knew that there was a good likelihood that the son has now squandered his wealth. I would imagine as he approaches, he looks like a broken man. There was no new news for this father. But the act of confession was probably as beneficial to the son as it was to anybody else. He needed to get this off his chest. He knew what he had done was wrong. Maybe today you need to confess where you have fallen short. Let me suggest two avenues. First, I want to challenge you today to confess your sin to God. A familiar passage I quoted often comes from 1 John 1, 9, which declares, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is completely irrelevant which sins we're talking about. You carry the weight of that sin until you come before the Lord and you lay it in his hands. Confess your sins And he is faithful and just. And he will forgive you of that sin. You will never have to carry that sin again. For it is released at that moment. 
a second avenue. The act of confession that was therapeutic to him, that was beneficial to tell someone else. Maybe today you need to confess to an individual. Have you wronged somebody? Do you need to remove the weight of sin in your life? Are you carrying baggage because of something you did to someone else? And you need to go to that individual and make peace between you and that individual. As much as it is possible, we must live at peace with those who are around us. And sometimes that means us going to our brother, to our sister, and saying, you know what, I have wronged you, and I am sorry. Please forgive me. I will tell you, this is probably one of the hardest things to do. You see, the thing is, you can go to God, and he's already promised he will forgive you. He is faithful and just. He'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know that he's going to forgive you. What if you go to your brother, you go to your sister, you confess your sin, you say you're sorry, and they're too angry to accept your apology? I don't want to diminish their response. You must make sure that you do everything you can to live at peace. But I will tell you, it is so freeing regardless of how they respond when we are able to get that off of our chest, to not have to carry that weight anymore. So maybe today you need to be like this young man and confess your sins. I do want to talk briefly about the father's response. Notice that the father never asked him which sins he committed. He doesn't care which sins were committed because all sins are the same in the father's eyes. In fact, the father doesn't even, doesn't even wait for this confession to embrace his child. We're told that the father saw him off at a great distance, recognized him, and he ran to him and he embraced him immediately. He didn't sit back and say, okay, I want to hear this first. Tell me what happened. He didn't sit back and think to himself, I wonder if he's really sorry. But rather, we see an image of a father who, regardless of all of the offenses that have taken place, all of the disappointment that was likely present, this father still loved his child. The same is true for us. There's no doubt that our God has very high expectations for us. There's no doubt that God has dreams and visions of what we can become. And all of us have fallen short of it at some time or another. But in the midst of that, he says, I still love you. He reaches out his arms the moment we begin to come to him. And he says, I embrace you for you are my child. That which was lost, that which was dead to me has now come home. That is our Heavenly Father's love for us. I don't know where you are today. Some of you might carry baggage because of poor moral choices that have taken place. But I want you to know today that God can forgive. He can redeem and he can make you whole. We simply need to come before him. Humble ourselves and ask for his grace, which he so freely gives. What I loved there, the father didn't wait for the request. The father ran to him and embraced him. God desires to embrace you today if you will only come before him. Regardless of where you've been, he offers redemption.
And today, I would like to lead you in a prayer to help receive that. Father, as we come before you, we recognize that in this room there are likely many, many people, if not all, who have had to deal with the baggage and the weight of sin. And it's come in so many different forms, some in the area of sexual immorality, some in the area of trust, some in financial waste, some in gossip and complaining. There's so many different areas we have been unfaithful. But Lord, your grace is sufficient for us. Like the father who embraced his child, who simply humbled himself and came back to him. Lord, we ask today that you would embrace us. As we confess to you, Lord, we ask that you would remove that sin, that you would never hold it against us again. Lord, I pray that you would make us whole and make us holy. Lord, I pray that you would be with those relationships that maybe today need to be addressed. Maybe there's someone here today who needs to go to a brother or a sister and confess their sin and find your grace and find their grace. Lord, I pray that you would give them the boldness to speak the truth in an incredibly loving way, not passing the responsibility off on anyone else, but rather owning the sin that existed. Allow them the freedom to move forward and to truly honor you. We give you praise in Christ's name we pray, amen.